There are so many different kinds of mothers, and today we want to celebrate mothers of all kinds. But first, I want to give a shout out to the women who right now are ready to turn this podcast off because they're thinking, I'm not a mother. Well, hello, my name is Morgan, and I would like to be your friend. I am also not a mother. And at the beginning of last year, I found myself questioning my ability to receive personal revelation. I allowed myself to feel less than those around me, that I wasn't contributing anything. And that feeling of worthlessness ultimately caused an ache that was unlike anything I had felt before. But over the course of a year in which I focused on the word nurture, I realized that while my mother heart still longs to have children someday, I have found that I have a tremendous capacity to mother. And I hope that as you listen to this podcast, you'll recognize that while our experiences may be different, the root emotions are often very much the same. I think you'll love hearing from each of the three women we have on this week's show. All are contributors to the new Deseret book release, All Kinds of Mothers, which is a collection of essays. These women will show us that there are many different ways to fulfill the divine calling of motherhood. First, we'll hear from Sister Virginia Pierce, a former member of the Young Women General Presidency and the daughter of President Gordon B. Hinckley and Sister Marjorie Pay Hinckley. Then we'll hear from Brianna Stone, a young mother who recently adopted her first child. And finally, we'll hear from Corinne Lay, the host of LDS Living's This is the Gospel podcast and a stepmother to two teenagers. This is All In, an LDS Living podcast where we ask the question, what does it really mean to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm Morgan Jones, and it is an honor, truly, to have Sister Virginia Pierce with me today. Sister Pierce, welcome. Oh, it's my pleasure, Morgan. I'm just happy to be here. I'm happy to see you and happy for the opportunity to think about and talk about mothering. Well, you... I, I met Sister Pierce, I have to tell those who watch or listen, I met Sister Pierce at a wedding reception a few years ago. And I just remember walking away. And I think I told like everyone that I know, I was like, she is the nicest person, honestly. So, um, so hopefully people will get a chance today to feel like they've had a chance to sit down with you and talk with you because you're an absolute delight. In your essay for this book, you talk about the kind of home mothers long to create. You say, we want our homes to be thin places where we and all those who enter can experience God. What does that look like? You ask that question. And I thought that question was so interesting and that statement was fascinating. And you said that as you were preparing for this interview, that you found yourself thinking about your own mother um, and not just the home that you grew up in, but the way that your, your mother taught you to mother. So can you tell us a little bit about kind of your thought process as you've thought about that, Sister Pierce? Okay. First of all, let me just say something about mothering in general, because it's such a huge topic, and it's so overwhelming to all of us. Every every woman who's ever become a mother on Mother's Day just groans because she feels so inadequate. I think, honestly, there are so many good kinds of mothers. We all do it our own way, and I've seen a multitude of different ways 
where it works. I think mothering of all things calls upon just who you are at your core. So when I talk, when we talk about how do you build this kind of home that you want where the spirit of God can enter, it really starts with you. And so it's nourishing yourself. It's, you know, the oxygen mask in the airplane, you put that on yourself first. With mothering, you build your relationship with God. And when you do that, everything that rolls out from that is just good. It's just good. And it leaks all over the house. And it leaks into every room and into every person's life, even though it doesn't seem like it at times. Mm. I think that that I love that thought. And and I think sometimes I'm not a mother, um, but I can imagine that sometimes you're, you're trying so hard to take care of everybody else's needs that I, I remember my mom, sometimes I would be like, have you eaten today? And <laughs> she would have forgotten to eat. And I think that that is, that's kind of the nature of a mother. So can you tell us a little bit, Sister Pierce, about things that you learned about mothering from your own mother? Because your mother is Marjorie Hinckley and everyone loves Marjorie Hinckley. I think that she's like maybe the most beloved person in church history. So. Oh, that's so generous of you to say. And I love it that people love her. (laughs) I think that the most important thing about mother was she was who she was. And she was comfortable with herself. It wasn't like she thought she was superwoman or wanted to be superwoman. She was who she was. And I think that's grounded in this very uh, powerful faith. And so um, when, as a mother, she didn't need us to perform so that she would look good. Mm. She, she wasn't, she wasn't in the way of any of that. And if we found other models for, for, to build our lives on, she was thrilled about it. She was looking at other people and, and encouraging us to reach out to other people because she was. And I think, I think sometimes we get so hung up with, I'm going to be judged by my children's behavior, that that makes a crazy making for kids. That if we can say, I'm going to be judged for my behavior, and and they're going to be great people. That was the other thing that she was so good at. She just assumed we were going to be good. And she assumed that we were going to be fun and that we were going to be nice. And so that goes a long way when you live with somebody like that. Yeah, I think uh, that you touch on such an important point because I know that I've noticed how hard it can be when children make choices that are maybe not exactly what the parent would want and they feel like it's, it's a reflection of them. And really, ultimately, a, a parent's success, I think, is dependent on whether or not a child is a good person more so than like all the other little things that could determine success as a parent. And so I'm interested to know your thoughts on how your, your parents and then you as a parent have sought to shape children into good people and then allowed them to make their own choices. Let me, let me tell you a story. It's kind of a dumb story. I was probably about, well, I was a senior in high school. 
And we had a ward situation where I was really busy at school, really involved at school. And I didn't go to mutual all the time. And uh, we had individual wards in those days, and they were dependent on your attendance at mutual and at Sunday school and at sacrament meeting, as well as some other things. So one night in about oh, March or April, the young women presidency came over to visit my parents. And my father was a general authority. And so I just think they thought, well, they were coming to visit us. <laughs> and we all sat down in the living room together, my mother and father and me, and they proceeded to explain to him that I still could get my individual award. And I'd had one every year, and this would be the sixth year, and I could still get it if I came to every mutual, but from now to the end of the year, because I hadn't been coming enough. Everything else was okay, and it should just just come to every mutual. And my parents sat and listened to him and were nice to him. And I was seething. I was sitting in the corner being a 17-year-old kid so mad about the idea that they wanted me to get this stupid award. (laughs) didn't mean anything to me. And didn't ask me why I wasn't going. Didn't, you know, there was, there was, they just wanted me to check the box. And so I was, I was ticked by the time they left. (laughs) When they left, uh, my parents were nice. They said goodbye to them. And then my dad turned around and he just screamed at me and walked out of the room. And I think they were masters at, at saying, look, <laughs> you know, we trust you. You make, you make a good choice. You're, you're, and that's what it did to me. The funny thing was, is that when I'd been sitting in that room, I thought, I'm going to miss just one. I'm just going to go just below the <laughs> That's the kind of stubborn kids we were. And years later, when I looked back, Lo and behold, I had the individual awards. So I must have gone to all of them. I must have just said, okay, I'll do it. And that's kind of the way my, that's an example of how they parented. The church was everything to them. There was no, my mother never complained about her church work. My dad never complained about it. It was, they were all about moving the kingdom forward. But it was real. It wasn't just to get awards. And they pass that on to us. I just think all of my siblings, we just, we just believe. (laughs) Yeah. I think that is so cool. And I love that your dad just turned and grinned at you. That's, that's awesome. Um, How, so in this essay, you talk about uh, creating homes and that those who enter our homes can experience God. Like in that quote that I I mentioned earlier, how did your parents teach you to create a home that was like a refuge? And what do you think are the greatest challenges that mothers face in creating that kind of home? I'm not sure. I think everyone has different challenges. I think every the makeup of every home is different. The personalities are different. What people come with from the other, you know, from our pre-existent is different. But I believe that the best way mothers can create that kind of home is to have experiences with God themselves, to make sure that they are praying and that they are pouring out their hearts to God, that somehow they are nourishing their spiritual self because that kind of a home means that God is there because 
they are experiencing him, whether anybody else is or not. And that has to make a difference. I believe that's um, that's one of the huge things that we have going for us that we don't realize is that whatever we do, and it may not show right now, it may not show in 20 years, it may not show for a very long time. But in the meantime, we're happy and we're full of joy and we're not undone by the difficulties of life or the difficulties our children are facing or our husbands or whatever. Yeah. How did you see your mom? And then also, how have you tried to create space to nourish yourself? Because I feel like that could be the really tricky part. (laughs) It is really tricky. When my children were young, uh, one of the things I did was just, I got up early every single morning before they got up and I walked. And I walked with a couple of friends. I walked alone to meet them. So I had 10 minutes, maybe all by myself out in the dark world where I could just pray on the way to their, on the way to meeting them. And then they were, they happened to be people who were good and kind and generous and positive. And we would walk for or run for 30, 45 minutes and I'd go home. That to me was huge in terms of my nourishment. Yeah. I, I've been home during this quarantine. I have been in North Carolina with my family and my mom has been going for a lot of walks. I think when everybody's <laughs> cooped up inside, you got to find a way to get out. So another thing that I love that you wrote in your essay, Sister Pierce, is you said, home is a refuge, but it is also a laboratory, a classroom. How have you seen that in both your home with your children and in the home that you were raised in? Let me answer that a little bit differently because I think a lot about now about how how my expanded home still has to be in some ways a laboratory, that I have six children who are all married and I have 27 grandchildren and are all sorts of adult people that are still a family and that I'm still a mother for. And when I think about what my mother did for me as an adult, I am appalled that I'm not better at it with my children. <laughs> and let me, let me just tell you what she did that was just amazing. And it was so her that it didn't, seem, it didn't seem unusual. She would notice things about you that were great and just in an offhand, casual way. It wasn't like a list she'd been speech she'd been practicing she'd tell you and they were dumb things but when when you're an adult you still need a mom who thinks you're fabulous (laughs) and I forget that with my adult children I forget they still have a need to hear from me that they are really great people and um, so as I've been thinking about her and thinking about what she did for me she said like I can remember when we moved away for the first time we lived in Omaha Nebraska and she came to visit me I had just one baby, and uh, I'd only been there about three months, and we went downtown to go shopping, and Omaha has some one-way streets downtown, and so I was driving down the one-way streets to go into the parking lot to go shopping, and she said, oh my word, Jenny, I can't believe how you maneuver this city. You're amazing. You've only been here three months, and you know how to do these one-way streets, and honestly, I remember where we were on the road when she said that. Because what it said to me is, 
I'm doing well out here in the world. And I needed my mother to tell me that. And I, I think about that all the time. And I think my children, even they're 40 and 50 and whatever, they need me to tell, tell them that they are really doing well out in the world, that they're good moms and they're good dads. And uh, she used to say little things like she said one day to me, oh, I love the way your husband talks to your children. She said, have you noticed how, how cute he is, the way he listens to them? And I, I'll tell you, when she said that, I thought, he really is. He's really a good dad. And I'm really a lucky wife. And I think she, I never, ever heard my parents say anything negative about any of their sons or daughters-in-law, which I think is really kind of amazing. Because That's remarkable. You know, it is remarkable. And when I hear other people complain about their sons-in-laws or daughter-in-laws, and I think, Boy, the minute we were married and made that choice, they just looked for the good and they helped us look for the good. And and that is so affirming. If your parent, if your mother is uh, says good things about your husband and your children, that's what you want. You know? Yeah. When she, I would call her sometimes and say, oh, I'm so worried about so-and-so. I'm so worried about one of my children. And, I, and she would just listen. And then maybe the next day she'd call me and she'd say, you know, I've been thinking about what we talked about. She's going to be just fine. She's really going to be just fine. And I believed her because she's my mother. Somebody else might be able to say that and I wouldn't believe it. But, yeah, I think, I think uh, we mothers underestimate the good or, or the harm we can do all of our children's lives. Yeah, I think that that's such a, an important thing to point out that we do, no matter how old you are, you're always looking to your parents for approval and validation and, and we all just want to make them proud. Sister Pierce, you have been for over a decade, you have had a very unique experience as a mother because your husband passed away. Was it 2009? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious what unique challenges that has brought to you and your experience as a mother. And I think that that's something that a lot of people can relate to, but maybe something we don't talk about very much. I was really surprised when Jim died to find out, because he was gone, how our family had worked you know, you you see suddenly the part he played in parenting and the part I played in parenting and how they work together. And all of a sudden you're missing a piece. And it's it's pretty, pretty um, difficult in that way, because um, when you're alone, you don't have anybody else to process problems with your family with. And there's nobody to say, oh, settle down. <laughs> She's going to be OK or to move in when you're exhausted or to move in when um, they can see that they've got something that, that the child needs that they can give them that you can't. So I, I look at single parenting and I have so much respect, so much respect for uh, mothers who, so many mothers who raise children without fathers. I, I think it's, I think there's no way that we shouldn't give them all the support we have. And, and that's another thing that I kind of want to say is that Nobody's mother is everything. Nobody's mother is everything. And we find mothers all over, people who mother us and teach us and nurture us 
in ways that maybe our mother couldn't. And so when I look at single parents or even even people who have both parents, I think we have an opportunity to mother wherever we go. That's really, really, I think it's a responsibility women have is to reach out and mother and uh, be mothered by others. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Before we get to our final question, I just wondered if you had any other words of wisdom or stories that have come to your mind about your parents or your family that you want to share before I ask the last question. Is there anything else? Oh, I think supporting what your children are interested in is a big deal for your grandchildren. And my mother was good at that. When my sister and I had three or four little children each, and we were talking one day about there were no church uh, books from the LDS church for our children. And in those days, there weren't. And my mother listened to it and she said, oh, you girls could write one. (laughs) And we said, we would kind of like to try that. And she said, look, I'll tend your kids. I'll tend all the kids. And there, I think we each had four. I'll tend all the kids next week. And you girls sit down and write a book. (laughs) And so it's that kind of thing. I just think supporting what your children want to do is a big deal. Yeah, I love that. Is there anything that stands out in your mind? It just came to my mind that, that I should ask you about being a grandmother. Anything, anything else other than supporting them that you think would be useful or helpful? I think once again, it's that whole idea of, of just small but constant drip, drip, drip of letting them know how good they are. Mm. I, I, and it's pretty easy to do, frankly, with grandchildren. But, but there are some that it's harder to do with than others. Some are more resistant to you. Some are more, more inclined to want to be with you. But I just think that slow drip of just letting them know that they're great people and they're going to make it is yeah. a big deal. Absolutely. Sister Pierce, you are a delight. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with me. My last question for you is what does it mean to you to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Wow, that's a big one, Morgan. To me, it means first, last, and always, no matter what happens, I belong to the church of Jesus Christ. And with all my heart, I believe it is the kingdom of God on earth. And I believe it gets to be my opportunity to build the kingdom. It says the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That's It's my church. He's allowing me to help in his work. And that doesn't just mean church work. That just means rolling forth his light everywhere you go. Thank you so much, Sister Pierce. Thank you for taking the time to be with me. Lovely to be with you, Morgan. Take care of yourself in North Carolina. (laughs) I will do it. I'll do it for sure. Thank you. Isn't Sister Pierce wonderful? She's so down to earth, even when you meet her in a line at a wedding reception. So I hope that you feel you were able to spend some time with her today. Next, we have Brianna Stone, who will share the experiences that led her to become a mother. Welcome, Brianna. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really, I'm so excited to be here and share some thoughts with you today. So I'm so excited. 
Well, we are thrilled to have you on the show. I have read your essay in this book and it is exceptional. And I told Brianna this before we ever started, but I'm so glad because she represents my generation, which is awesome. (laughs) The younger girls out there. Oh gosh. (laughs) We're trying. We're trying our best. (laughs) We are. We're trying our best. So I want to start with the essay that people will read in the book. And then we're going to kind of tell, give people an update on what your life looks like now. So in the book, your essay is focused on miscarriage. Mm-hmm. And this is something I just recently had a mission companion that went through a miscarriage. And she told me, at first, she didn't even want to tell me. Actually, another mission companion of ours told me that she had gone through this. And I was like, why didn't she tell me? And she was like, well, it's just so hard because you don't like want to seem like you're looking for sympathy. And so no one really talks about it. So can you tell us a little bit about your experience in trying to have children and these miscarriages that you experienced? Yeah, I um, I think it's so interesting. Everyone that I talked to about this has said, oh my gosh, I've been through that or my best friend went through that or they have someone close to them that's experienced that and it's just not discussed. It's almost still a taboo topic, which is so crazy to me because it miscarriage is a part of so many women's lives. And that was my whole intent of writing four years ago, this little blog article on my personal blog, just to share my experience. The whole motive was just to start talking about it. And four years ago, it wasn't discussed really at all. And now I feel like as time has gone on, people are starting to open up more, which I appreciate. And I hope that it continues to be that way. But when I first married my husband, we knew that he wanted to go into medicine. So we kind of had our five-year plan of what medical school would look like, where we would try and fit in our our kids. And we knew that we wanted to have a couple of kids. And then we also knew that we wanted to hopefully adopt one day from Guatemala. That's where he served his LDS mission. And we had gone back as a couple and had some really cool experiences there. So we were really hoping to adopt from Guatemala and we wanted to have all these kids. And during our first year of marriage, we had a couple of really interesting experiences happen to us where we just felt like Heavenly Father was pushing us towards having kids a little bit sooner than we had planned. So we thought, okay, well, we're going to put our faith in God and just and just go for it. And then I had also had an experience as a young girl where it was a really special thing where Heavenly Father had shown me that motherhood wouldn't come easy to me. And I think at the young age that I had that experience, I wasn't quite sure what that would look like. And I didn't know anything about infertility and miscarriage, but I kind of went into my marriage and my young adulthood knowing that motherhood would probably, or that blessing of motherhood would probably not come easy to me. So long story short, we jump into all of this and we really struggled. We had five miscarriages, six babies. Um, Our first miscarriage was um, a set of twins. And in between that, we had about a year of infertility. So infertility treatments, every test that you can do. One thing that is so frustrating about it, and I think why so many people don't talk about it, is it can be really embarrassing. I mean, you are trying so hard to keep this commandment, and you're trying so hard and doing everything you can to have a family, and it just it just doesn't work out, and it just doesn't happen. And so one of the hardest things, too, I think about that is there's no 
in most cases, there's no answer. There's no diagnosis. You get diagnosed with recurrent miscarriages with no probable cause of why. And that can be so excruciatingly painful as you watch, you know, your friends and your family have children or whatever else it is. And you just kind of have to sit back and say, okay, guy will be done and not mine. You just press forward and you keep moving forward. So that's a little bit about us. I think so many women struggle with that and sharing that because so many people will tell them what happens to everyone. Everyone goes through this. And you know, I think that's so true that so many people do go through it, but it doesn't make your experience any less relevant to your life and who you're becoming. So yeah, I think, and I think that, that point that you just touched on is so important. So in the essay, Brianna, you write about how you felt like you were waiting in the standby line. And I love this idea because it feels like you're having to wait for the right situation. I think this is something that most women and probably men have felt where they're just waiting for some different aspect of their life to come along. For me, that's been marriage. I'm not married. And so it's like, okay, like you're just watching everybody else file through. (laughs) Um, so what have you learned about that standby line and why are you now grateful for the time that you spent in it? I, um, I love this question because when I thought of that analogy, I was like, this doesn't make any sense. And then when I was talking to my husband, he's like, no, it makes sense. Like you have been waiting so long. And, and the great thing about the standby line is you always get on the plane that blessing will always come. If that makes sense. Like when you're in the standby line for getting on the plane, you always get on the plane, whether it's that day or the next day, you're just in that standby line and you're waiting. And I thought of that from a quote from Elder Holland. And that quote sits in my living room and it says, some blessings come soon and some come late and some don't come until heaven. But for those that embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, they come. And to me, that standby line was just waiting for that waiting for that promised blessing that I was just so righteously longing for. I think so often that wait can be so hard because you're thinking and praying, Heavenly Father, I'm doing everything that I can. I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing and keeping my covenants and keeping the commandments. I'm trying so hard and it just isn't happening. That promised blessing from that quote from Elder Holland is some will come soon and some will come later and some you'll have to wait until heaven. And through all of that, I think a few things that I learned is that you you don't find your happy life, but you make it. And I think Thomas S. Monson said that. And for me, that was just constantly doing my best. And there were days where it was like dragging yourself out of bed, falling to your knees and just pleading with Heavenly Father to help you find the good in your day and to do your best and to keep fighting and to keep trying and to keep living the way that Heavenly Father would have you live so you can be ready to accept that blessing. And I think I say in my essay is I chose to be happy. And and when I say that, I don't want people to think, well, you just flip on the switch and you're happy and everything's great and fine because it's not. Happiness takes practice. Happiness takes patience. And I, I don't know that people really see that and really realize that when they're in the depths of this despair, whether it's you're waiting for marriage or family, or you have a wayward child, 
you know, that you're hoping to come back in that most vulnerable time that you're in, that's when Satan is going to come in and work on you because he knows you not as well as Heavenly Father knows you, but he knows right, right at the moment that you are going to fall. And for me, waiting in that standby line was just constantly working for happiness, constantly trying to do my best, keeping my covenant, saying my prayers, just trying to get up every day and do better and be better and find that happy life and make that happy life, not find that happy life, but make that happy life. And a big motivator for me and one of the great, great parts about, about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that in order for me to be with my family forever, I have to keep my covenants here. And I couldn't, to me, I just didn't have a choice. I didn't have a choice of um, being unhappy and not keeping the commandments and not trying my best because I wanted, I, I want that promise blessing. So that's just a huge motivator for me. So, and I think that applies to whatever blessing you're waiting for is if you're not, if you're not ready and prepared for it, then when it comes, you might miss it. So. Absolutely. I love that so much. I have a friend, um, Lisa O'Neill, who we've done a video at LDS Living. Do you know Lisa? I, I think I've heard her story. Yes. Where, where her husband, so her husband wasn't a member of the church and she mm-hmm. talks about like waiting and she says, you know, just be ready for when that blessing comes. She mm-hmm. waited 20 years for him to join the church. And so <laughs> I think that that is so important. And I think that, um, also, you know, recognizing that you're always in a way going to be waiting for something. Mm-hmm. And so kind of getting comfortable in that standby line, because there's always going to be something next that you're waiting for. Um, you have now, this is so exciting that we get to tell people this update. You've now been able to adopt. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that experience. Your little girl is so precious. I she can't even so handle it. <laughs> So that truly is probably the biggest blessing that we've seen from that weight in that standby line. So like I said before, we, my husband's in medicine and we're in, we're going into the third year of his medical degree and it's insanely expensive. And we just didn't, we weren't, we weren't well educated on um, how much adoption would cost and everything else like that. So luckily we got some great adoption education about a year ago, and we found out that we could adopt privately instead of with an agency. And so there's two kinds of adoption. There's private adoption and then agency adoption, and then there's foster care adoption. So I guess there's a few, but private adoption, there's lots of pros and cons to that. But one of the things that is great about private adoption is that it can be less expensive in some cases. And so we fasted and prayed for months to know what, what we should do because we felt so strongly about that and we were just afraid. <laughs> and so we, we, we did it in Utah. You can adopt privately, which entails just marketing yourself. So you put yourself out there. We have like a little adoption website about our family. And we just searched for the expectant mom that was hoping to make a adoption plan for her baby. And so during those four years, we were just primed and prepped for this. And then Holy Father really timed it perfectly. And we found our daughter's birth family over social media. And they reached out to us and we met with them and were able to adopt our sweet birth mom's baby. So 
it it's absolutely incredible though because we look back on that timing and we look back on everything that happened to us during those almost five years and see just how Heavenly Father changed us and refined us and put us in the right path and in the right state for medical school and everything else to be able to make it possible. So yeah, she just turned one in a couple, like two months ago. And so we have had her since birth and it is truly the, the, the best, the best thing that's ever happened to us. And I think a lot of people think, well, for those who have experienced miscarriage and infertility, adoption is their plan B. And maybe it is for some people. For us, it was plan A. We just didn't know that we could do it. And we were really lucky too and really fortunate that our daughter is half Guatemalan. And that's where we wanted to adopt from all those years ago. And so we just it just really worked out worked out for us with a lot of faith and a lot of prayer and hope that it would work. Well, and I, I think that you, you made an interesting point when you said, you know, that you were afraid and that you had to put yourself out there. I've never thought about how vulnerable that must feel to put yourself in that position. Holy cow. You know, it's wild too, because not many people know that when you adopt, you do home study work and casework and everything. And part of that, they dive into every single part of your life and it's all out there for everyone to see. And it's all out there and it's so vulnerable and it's so scary and it's such a difficult thing to do. And I honestly don't know how people do it without faith that God is is directing them and making it happen because it's 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 an incredible amazing experience and it's so hard but it pays off and we just we just love we just love that little girl so much. So So I want to touch on that really quick. What have you learned, Brianna, about our capacity, especially as women, to love and about a mother's love specifically? You know, I think over the years after having all these experiences, I think one of the biggest things I've learned about love is through our Savior's atonement. I think all that I've learned about love comes from comes from the atonement of Jesus Christ, how he not only paid for our sins, but felt every heartache and every hope (laughs) that we had and every excruciatingly painful time where a friend has a baby and you just lost one. You know, he felt, he felt every feeling that I had on such a personal level. And what a great way to learn how to love from him. And just that strengthening and enabling power of his atonement just helped me when I was struggling the most and helped me love others and have compassion and care for those that were experiencing the same thing as me, the way he cares for me and the way that he loves me. And a mother's love is something that I didn't realize would be so innate, so ingrained in just who I am. How I love my daughter is something that is just, it's godlike. And I think that that is one of the coolest things about becoming a mother is that is something that is part of who you are. And it's a blessing that God has bestowed upon you as a woman and as a mother to love your child. And I think that that comes through our Savior. And Another thing that I've learned so much from just about mother's love is from 
our daughter's birth mom. She is absolutely incredible. And the deep love that she had for our daughter enabled her to make an adoption plan and to find a family that was hoping for a baby and hoping for a family. And she sacrificed everything so that I could be a mom, you know, and learning that from her has been something that I'll never forget and I'll always cherish. And it's such a privilege. It's such a privilege to be able to raise this daughter in my home and with the gospel from this mother who sacrificed everything, who gave everything so that I could be a mom. So it's an incredible, an incredible thing. And I am just so grateful to my Heavenly Father and so grateful to the Savior to teach me those lessons through all of this. Absolutely. Brianna, thank you so much for sharing your experience. This has been, it's been honestly enlightening for me. So thank you so much. As we wrap up, I just have one last question for you. And that is, what does it mean to you to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? To me, being all in the gospel of Jesus Christ, I think of the primary song, I'm trying to be like Jesus, where it says, I'm trying to be like Jesus. I'm following in his way. I'm trying to love as he did in all that I do and say. And that is like an anthem for my life is being all in, in this gospel is trying and doing your best. We hear over and over in general conference, God loves effort. Just keep trying. Just keep believing. Heaven is cheering you on. And I really do believe that if you are doing your best and trying your best and being your best and falling to your knees to ask for help to be your best, we can become more like our Savior and we can, which is ultimate goal, is to be back with our Heavenly Father and Savior. Beautiful. Brianna, thank you so, so much. Thanks for having me. Happy Mother's Day. Thanks. We are so grateful to Brianna Stone for sharing her story. Last, but certainly not least, we have Corinne Lay, who will share how a priesthood blessing led her to befriend an unlikely person and how that friendship has blessed her life. Hello, Corinne. Oh, hi, Morgan. Well, I feel like we should tell everybody that Corinne is the person that puts up with me on a daily basis. (laughs) She deserves some kind of gold star. Hey, listen, let's talk about who deals with who, because I'm pretty sure it's an even playing field there, Morgan Jones. No, no, (laughs) it's not. I'm pretty sure it's not. But Mm -hmm. I am so excited for people to have the chance to hear your story and to learn from you because I learn from Corinne on a daily basis. So I think that where I'd like to start, if it's okay with you, is leading up to the point where you got married. So tell people, first of all, how old you were when you got married. And then I want to hear about your desire to get married and to have kids and to be a mom before you had that opportunity. Okay. So first of all, I love that you're like, tell everybody how old you were when you got (laughs) married. It's actually... probably um, like not polite, huh? I'm sorry. uh, We're past polite. Also, I actually am really proud of how old I was. I was 34 when I got married and it was my first marriage and my husband's second marriage. But I always thought that like, I grew up in a family with seven kids, right? Like my mom had all seven of us by the time she was 31. And so when I started to think about my life and the trajectory of it, I always just assumed like I'd be 31 with 
10 children. I don't know how that would happen, but you know, math is not my strong suit. But I always just thought kids were part of the equation and that that I would marry pretty quickly and that that I would kind of follow that same path. And every year <laughs> that kept not happening. I went to college and then I started to always think that I would adopt. Like I, I came home from my mission and fostered a child for a year after my mission and realized pretty quickly that I can love other people's children with like a depth that I don't think, I think a lot of people might find weird, right? Like that I can, I, I just had the capacity to love someone else's child with, with, um, a kind of love that I, that surprised even me. And so then I started to think as I got older and older and marriage still wasn't in the cards that, that adoption wasn't, was an option for me. And I was never afraid to date guys who had kids that just never freaked me out. What's interesting about that though, is that <laughs> I didn't ever think of myself as a stepmother. Like I just thought I would love someone else's kids and that they'd become my kids. And maybe it would be someone who was widowed or somebody, you know, where the kids would be mine and I would just like own, own them. No, but yeah. like, they, like they would, you would inherit that. I would inherit them and they would, they would belong to me and our family. Stepmother was never part of the vision. So when I met my husband and he had kids, that was easy. I, I loved his kids immediately. I loved him. And I was like, oh, this will be this will be easy. It was after we got married and I realized that by marrying into a family where the, the biological mother was still part of the picture, that's when it got super hard for me. Because all of a sudden I was like, I don't have any point of reference for this. I have no way of knowing how to manage a totally separate family that is somehow part of our family now. Yeah. And so that's what you write about in your essay in this book. And I loved your essay. I think just because it was so real and gave people insight into something that I think they probably don't think about that being part of your experience when you marry someone who is sharing children with someone else. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit, you mentioned that with your kids, you instantly loved them. Can mm -hmm. you tell us before we get to their mother, can you tell us about what you felt for them when you first met them and what you remember about when you first met Justin's kids? Oh my gosh, I'm such a crier. <laughs> I'm totally going to cry about this. So I actually remember the moment that I got to meet Justin's kids. We went to, there's this water park in Provo. I was in graduate school and we packed, Justin had packed this little lunch and we went to this water park with the two kids and his six-year-old daughter, Kayla had a broken arm, but she had cut her own hair and had this like, she just looked like a wild thing. And she was smiling all the time. And his son was so cute too. He had just this little ginger kid. And, and I remember that we were at the water park and his daughter came up to me and said, come with me. I want to go down the slide. And she like grabbed my hand and took me to, to, to a slide. Now, listen, I know that's probably like, I'm a total stranger. And <laughs> Probably someone should have been concerned, but luckily I'm a safe human being. And we went to the we went to this water slide together with a plastic bag over her her cast. And I remember thinking in that moment, like I feel like a family. Like we went back to meet everybody else who was having a picnic, and it just felt so normal, and it felt so easy. And and that's when I just sort of fell in love with the whole the whole family. To be frank, like. That's yeah. what I fell in love with. And I think anyone who has married into kids, 
when they're about that age probably feels the same thing. It's really easy to love a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. They're so adorable. Yeah. I think that there may be some people that are watching right now that are like, well, how old are the kids now? You know, because I think that the thing yeah. that's tricky is it's one thing to be a stepmom to little kids. And then I think as they get older, that becomes progressively more difficult, just as any parenting does. Parenting in general becomes more difficult. So how has that, how have you handled that? Well, I think it's really interesting. I, I, I'm part of a stepmother group on Facebook that a friend of mine who is also a stepmother, we got married around the same time to men who had kids. And we started a support group for each other because we were like, we can't do this without other people. There are just too many variables, like too many things where things you thought and expectations you had for how your life was going to turn out and how your parenting was going to be, those things all sort of go out the window. And so you really do need each other. You need a voice of reason. And one of the things that that I think we kept hearing in that group and that I think I was saying as well was, oh, this is, this is what I'm experiencing and this is so frustrating. And it was really hard to differentiate between what is step-parenting difficulties and what is normal teenage, preteen acting out, right? Yeah. Because sometimes sometimes as a step parent, there's this whole they have this whole baggage of a divorce or a death or something else that came with the separation of their of their original family. And so we're constantly tiptoeing around what is the cause of this particular meltdown or this particular acting out. And so I think raising being a step parent to teenagers and to little kids, they all have their own challenges. But that's one of the biggest challenges is trying to know what's normal. For kids and what's part of their what's part of their original trauma from the divorce or from the separation. Yeah. You mentioned Corinne, your capacity to love and that that was something that you felt like even before Justin came along, that was something that you recognized as a strength that you had. And I think that absolutely is a strength that you have as a human is a capacity to love. Why would you say though that it is worth the effort, all the the challenges that come with being a step parent, all of the, I'm sure, so many tricky situations to navigate. <laughs> and we're going to talk about one of those. But why is it worth it to you? Oh, um, well, I don't have any biological children of my own. And I won't ever have biological kids. And there's something really magical about family. I mean, there's a sense of of choice that comes in with step parenting, and and it's not always easy. It's not always easy to choose that love and to choose that. And I don't know what that's like in another family system because I've only ever had this particular one as a, a married person. But it's worth it because because it expands us and it pushes us and it offers the kids that we are loving and caring for it offers them different perspectives on life that they wouldn't get in a in a different situation. I think about it like I grew up with my parents who I love and adore and they taught me one way of doing things. But my kids are seeing so many different ways of living the gospel, so many different ways of of following Jesus Christ all with the same end in mind, right? Like we're all trying to get to the same place but they have all these beautiful examples of living a Christ-like life from four different parents, which is really cool. And I think it's worth it to put your heart out there anytime that you can. I think it's worth it to to do that heart work 
Yeah. Well, I cannot tell you how many times that I've thought in our office, just like hearing you have conversations with your stepchildren or hearing you have conversations with Justin about your kids or you talking to us in the office about how good your kids are and how much you love them. And and that doesn't mean that there's not hard things, but I have often thought when those conversations are going on, I've thought, man, those kids are so lucky to be loved by Corinne. And I mean that 100%. So thanks, um, Morgan. They're very fortunate. <laughs> the last thing before we get to our all-in question is about this this relationship with your children's mother that you talk about in the essay. Yeah. I thought this was such a unique take, and I wondered if you could just share a little bit about how you have come to appreciate her and also what navigating that relationship has taught you about women as a whole. Oh. That's a really good question. So I think it's really interesting because I wouldn't advise that every stepmother um, have this type of relationship with their kid's mother. It really depends on your individual situation. There are a lot of people that this is not advisable. There are different types of boundaries and different ways that you have to move in the world. So for me, I always wanted kids of my own and I had very clear ideas about how I was going to raise my kids and what they would care about and what musical instruments they would play and what time they'd go to bed. <laughs> Just all the things that I thought my kids would have and, and coming into a place where they already had a mom that sometimes really hurt. Like it hurt not to have the control that you think you want to have in your life, the one that you expect. And so sometimes I caught myself thinking of their mom as the enemy, as somebody that was ruining my plans and my dreams for these children that I didn't bear, right? (laughs) And I got a blessing once for something else. And in the middle of the blessing, the, the person who was giving me the blessing said the phrase that I needed to seek out a relationship with my children's mother and that that would actually bless my life. And that was not what I wanted to hear in any way, shape or form, because I was like, I got enough friends and I need a common enemy. And this is really going to ruin all my plans for how I'm going <laughs> to, like how I'm going to move in the world. But I also kind of got the sense that if I wanted to have peace in my life and I wanted to to feel joy in my family relationships, that I couldn't ignore this other part of this family. And that was their mom and, and the kid's stepdad, um, who is also awesome. And so I, I set out to strike up a conversation and become friends, but it felt so awkward at first. And, and then we started to just have longer conversations. And, and the the, the spiritual impression that I got was that my friendship with her, with Nikki, would become a, a comfort to me. And I did not see how that could possibly happen at the beginning. And it took a while. I'm not going to lie. It took a while for us to feel that. But now I have, I have an ally and she has an ally. And we are all allied together. And I think that's really what's best for our kids. I'm not saying that's best for every kid. I hope, I wish and hope that everyone could have that. But I know that for our kids, they needed that. They needed that sense of unity. And so now we can sit next to each other at, they'll save us seats at the, at the high school, junior high choir concert. We've laughed together as we've listened to like the little screeching violin concerts where you're just like, oh my gosh, this is what parents do. And it's been good for us. It's been good for our family. And you asked what, it me- what it's taught me about women. Yeah. Yeah. About women. I think we have... 
I think that we have the capacity to lift one another up even when we think it's too hard to do. Like, talk about competition. <laughs> talk about competition. I'm sure it's hard for her to feel like there's this other person in her kid's life like that they might want to talk to about the good things that are happening for them. And it would be really easy for me to become competitive with her for their affections, for all the different things that come with parenting. But I've learned that women need each other and that there's enough to go around. I think that that's the, the beauty of this type of step parenting is that there's an abundance and the kids feel that. And we as women have the capacity to give that to each other and to the children that we love. Yeah. I was just talking yesterday. Um, and I think by the time this comes out on audio, this episode will have aired, but I was just talking with Whitney Johnson, who we both know. Mm -hmm. And one thing that she talked about is creating rather than competing. Mm. And I think that what you've done is you've created something really special by resisting the tendency that kind of the natural man has to compete. And instead, you've created this really beautiful thing. So I really admire that. Can I just, can I tell you one other quick thing? Yeah. So there's this motto in Al-Anon, which is like the counterpart to Alcoholics Anonymous for family members of addicts. And they always say in their meetings, you may not like us all. You may not like us all, but you will come to realize that you need us and that we're all important in some special way. And that's a paraphrasing that. But I've thought about that a lot. In this situation, we don't even have to like each other all the time. There are going to be times where, where that there's dissonance and, and things aren't going exactly the way you, you want. And so liking is a, is a gift, right? Like to like somebody is a gift, but to love is a God-given gift. And you can love anybody because God and Jesus Christ make that possible for us. So whether you like everybody that you're in a step family or a, a, a family with, you can still love them. And I think that that can come from the atonement of Jesus Christ through his grace. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Corinne, the last question, you know what's coming. <laughs> you helped us come up with this question. What does it mean to you to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> It changes for me, you know, but I think the essence of it, the essence of being all in means that you keep moving, you keep trying and you keep showing up. And when you do get spiritual impressions, you follow them and you seek understanding about what, what the purpose and the reason for those impressions is. I really just think it's about building that relationship with Christ and keep showing up. I love that. Thank you so much, Corinne. Thank you for sharing your goodness. Thanks, Morgan. Love you. Love you. 
We are so grateful to Corinne for sharing her story and thank you all so much for listening. You can find All Kinds of Mothers, which is full of wonderful stories like these on DeseretBook.com or in stores now. A big thank you to Derek Campbell for his work on this week's episode. And before we go, I just want to take a second to wish my very own mother a very happy Mother's Day. Mama, you are the absolute best and I love you. Until next week, everyone, please stay safe and healthy and we'll look forward to another week of All In.